Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Xile Xiao, assistant professor at the University of Florida, and Jeff White, CEO of Gravy Analytics, about using location analytics data to predict evacuation behaviors during natural disasters. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Xile Chow, uh, assistant professor, Department of Civil and Coastal Engineering at the University of Florida, and Jeff White, CEO of Gravy Analytics. Uh, we're going to talk today about location analytics and how they can protect lives during natural hazards. Welcome, Sheila and Jeff. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Um, and I guess before we uh, get started, I was wondering if um, you, you, could, you each could uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Sheila, let's start with you. Hello, everyone. I, I am Shilei Zhao. So I'm an assistant professor uh, at the University of Florida. So I'm the, also the director of the Smart, Equitable, Resilient Mobility Systems Lab at UF. So my research primarily focusing on uh, using computational and the data science methods to um, tackle challenging problems in transportation and resilience. And Jeff? Thank you. Sure. I'm Jeff White. I'm the CEO and founder of Gravy Analytics. Gravy Analytics is headquartered right outside of Washington, D.C., and usually um, we're an analytic company that uses mobility data to uh, track and understand human behaviors. Excellent. Well, along those lines, I guess let's start off with how can we improve our understanding of evacuation behaviors? So probably I want to just say, um, according to the literature, so traditionally when we're looking at uh, modeling people's evacuation behavior, we only have data like surveys, interviews, and the focus group. So those data are completely based on people's memory. And as we all know, people's memory fade uh, uh, with the time going on. And also the sample size of traditional data sets are relatively small. So usually we will have the data bias issue or different kinds of issues with the existing data set. However, with the new type of data, like the GPS data becoming available, it can help us um, improve, significantly improve our understanding of people's movement and the evacuation decision-making during an event and help decision-makers and the emergency manager develop better strategies to uh, deal with the situations in real time. Jeff, you want to chime in? No, yeah, sure. She, she absolutely nailed it. I mean, the thesis when we got started in our company was that no longer is the greatest signal of human behavior where we go online, but rather where we go offline. And if we're able to take aggregated and, and significant amounts of mobile location data, we're able to build a very complete understanding of how people behave before, during, and after things like natural disasters. Okay, so uh, so if you guys could tell me a little bit about uh, sort of what is location intelligence and how it can improve emergency management. Um, and uh, I guess Jeff will start off with you and then we'll go to Chile. Sure. Um, at, at its most rudimentary level, location intelligence is just the analytics that are built on top of location data. So when you're using your phone and your apps and the weather, it is location aware. Your device um, understands your location. We simply take all of this information, uh, aggregated, anonymized, and build analytics on top of all that data. 
and as she like pointed out, as it relates to natural disasters, rather than relying on people's memories and survey results and other things, the greatest understanding is actually what happens at a ground truth level, both pre, during, and post natural disasters, so that we understand, for example, if there is a flash flood at three o'clock outside of Atlanta, it isn't where you might think um, people are. We can actually look at past and understand where are people likely to be at that time. Maybe that's a school drop-off time, for example, a pickup, and help inform first responders about not only where people are likely to be, but also where they're likely to start fleeing a natural disaster, whether it's a flood, or hurricane, or in this case, uh, we worked at uh, looked at wildfire. Yes, um, uh, so I think Jeff's answer is great. Um, maybe I'll just add a few more uh, details over here about how to improve uh, emergency management. So by, by using the data, that's the GPS data before and during and after an event, so we can essentially infer people's you know, evacuation decisions. So essentially, whether are they going to leave and when are they going to leave and which routes they are choosing and what, what destinations they are choosing. So with all those information inferred, and we will be able to estimate uh, how much traffic will entering the road network at a certain point of time of the day. So those kind of information are very essential for emergency managers because they will be able to identify when potential traffic congestion will happen and where it's going to happen and uh, where are the potential bottleneck and how we can develop uh, traffic control strategies to help mitigate those issues during evacuations to ensure we can get as many people out as soon as possible. Thank you. Great. Um, and uh, Sheila, you, the University of Florida Transportation Institute actually did some research into this. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk uh, during the 2019 uh, Kincaid fire uh, in Sonoma County, mm -hmm. California. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you found uh, from that research. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jay. Uh, yes, so we are uh, located here uh, at the University of Florida Transportation Institute, and uh, this uh, research direction about evacuation behavior modeling is primarily led by me, and this research is generously funded by the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. So we are, with this funding and uh, our institutional support, we were able to uh, analyze the people's evacuation behavior and decision-making during the Kincaid fire, which happened in 2019 in Sonoma County, California. So we invented a set of different kinds of algorithms to infer people's decisions, like I just mentioned, about people's evacuation decisions, their destination choice, their road choice, etc. And was with those kind of information becoming available, we found out that um, certain areas have very high evacuation compliance rate, but certain areas have relatively lower compliance rate. And uh, we are working with the community to identify why that happened and uh, how can we develop better targeted you know, marketing campaigns to enhance people's awareness and risk perceptions during wildfire evacuation. And we are also um, uh, categorized um, evacu uh, evacuees into different groups. Uh, for example, like, um, um, so we don't want to get too technical over here, but essentially we're looking at people who leave early or people who leave uh, during the order or people who leave late, uh, late. So with those kind of different groups, we can also uh, generate additional insights 
for policymakers to better uh, facilitate emergency management as well. Uh, Thank you. And, yeah, and Jeff, uh, what role did Gravy Analytics play in this, uh, this study? Sure, uh, we were the underlying provider of the, the location data um, to, to her group and they did all the analytics and modeling and, and everything else on top of that. So how can this methodology be applied to disasters everywhere? Like I know that this is a, you know, obviously pretty important, uh, pretty important tool that, that folks can use. How are you gonna um, sort of spread the word on this? Yeah, so I think uh, we have developed all different kinds of tools and for those tools, we primarily developed for the wildfire case and now as because of the situation of you know climate change and more wildfire events, not only happening in California, but also in other states. For example, we just had the Marshall Fire that happened in Colorado mm -hmm. uh, just during New Year. So our so we're actually working with Gravy to um, to also use their GPS data to an uh, analyze people's wildfire evacuation behavior for the Marshall Fire as well. So we are hoping to do a series of study uh, with different wildfires to uh, to study the transferability of the knowledge to get um, a more um, to form a better evacuation behavior uh, knowledge and theory to help people uh, make advancements in this area. And then all those methods are also uh, applicable and uh, with adaptations to different disasters. For example, like um, uh, like hurricane case. So the in the uh, for hurricane evacuations, so the same methodology can pretty much be applied over there with just some small tweaks on the algorithms. Uh, we are readily to develop uh, de um, to apply to that case, and also earthquakes, uh, another potential disaster that we can apply the similar technology to. Jeff, how do you, um, from your standpoint, how can this sort of be, uh, I guess, scaled out um, from a technology uh, standpoint? It's a fantastic question. And certainly the things that we're talking about here does save lives. Helping to understand, inform, and change people's behaviors and the face of these natural disasters will definitely save lives. And, and more importantly, whether it's the kinds of things that we've talked about here, resources are scarce. And if we can help our government, our first responders, uh, national agencies, the likes of FEMA and others, to take what is already scarce resources save lives on the front end and to help optimize and apply those resources on the back end, we can we can certainly not only change lives, but save lives along the way. Uh, yeah, and speaking of the government, have you been in touch with the government about sort of adapting this on a wider scale or is it too early to do that yet? Do you still need to do more research? No, I think the government has been applying principles of like this. Mm -hmm. um, most notably, when we heard things about COVID, contact tracing, right. understanding mobility as it impacts those kinds of things. I think, I think the government is keenly aware of these things. I think some of the research that was done in the Kincaid fire that Jimmy's team and others that are doing is going to profoundly accelerate the government's adoption and use because at the end of the day, this data is available, it's ubiquitous, and um, it's not like um, it takes a lot of effort to make a material difference in how we think and respond to these types of natural disasters. Sheila, did you have any uh, thoughts on that? 
uh, yes. So I think this uh, this type of work is uh, very well received in our disaster resilience research community, and also we uh, call the attention um, and also a lot of support from local communities. For example, the emergency management agencies uh, in Sonoma County and also California Department of Transportation is also very interested in our work. So I think with uh, with our this kind of innovative work by using GPS data to help them generate much better insights for uh, emergency management for wildfire uh, can, can, can not only help the local uh, communities but can also better coordinate different agencies over there to form a consensus and also um, produce a next generation solutions that can have everyone participate in those kind of research and to generate a solution that can work for everyone. How long do you think uh, and I know it's hard to say because of, you know, many factors uh, involving the government, but how long mm -hmm. before, uh, you know, this kind of technology and, and the sort of the way we're using it is sort of uh, available and being used everywhere? Like, you think it's like a couple of years, five years away? This is hard to say from my part. So, but from for our lab, so we are all supporting, you know, open science and the open knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as soon as the paper is published, so we are committed to sharing our code with others. So we are hoping with we are sharing the code, so others can also um, get similar data from, for example, like Gravy, and they can just use our code to conduct similar analysis. So that would be, you know, one of the things we are trying to do is to not only develop the methodology itself, but also open source some of the tools we developed in our lab. Mm -hmm. So that would be happening in just, I guess, one or two years. Yeah. Jeff, what do you think in terms of, I guess, you know, would you wouldn't be the only company that sort of provides this kind of information, but like, is that, is it being discussed sort of on a, on a broader scale from technology companies? Yeah, I think so. By the way, and we donate all of this data, um, and at the end of the day, we have a whole effort around data for good. Um, and so the, the, the short answer is yes. And, and, and the long answer is, I think, like many things, um, sometimes these changes seem to be tectonic. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about natural disasters here, but the same kind of information and put into smart people's hands can help inform many citizen and government interactions, whether it be the location of schools, feeding the homeless, distribution um, of, you know, crisis needs and materials, um, all of this can be efforted forward with this type of GPS data and smart people like University of Florida's team um, doing incredible, incredible things with it. Are there any um, privacy concerns when it comes to using GPS data uh, from, from, I guess, you know, have you heard about the, any of that being raised or is it something that uh, is not a concern. No, it's, it's, it's a definite concern okay. and part and parcel. There's some fundamental tenets to the data, um, that is ensured at its source of collection. And that is one, it's all aggregated. It's all anonymized. There's no personally identifiable information. And even to the point of at its point of collection, like when you're using apps and other things, it's a hundred percent consented and opted in by the consumers. And, and the great thing about the emergence of, of technology and as Jim Lee said about open sourcing of the code, it doesn't take massive amounts of this data to make material 
inferences and models and changes and impacts. Um, you know, statistically, we, we all learned about Nielsen ratings and, you know, a 1% sample size is significant enough to understand. Similarly, in this case, um, the underlying constructs of the data is extremely privacy conscious and friendly. And it doesn't take a lot of that raw material to allow data scientists and others to make meaningful impacts. Yeah, I was going to ask just because I wasn't sure how, how you know, you mentioned that people were consenting to it. I didn't know like what percentage of, you know, of actual uh, data that, you, that you're, you're from the population you're getting. But uh, it sounds like, you know, if you've got it, you've got enough that you can make good decisions from it. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, having the smart people create the models as they've done to to actually make a difference at the at a local level so you know something very very similar if we know a certain region a certain area of people who are typically or in past examples have not for example evacuated or or, or listened to the local um agencies um you know, you know marketing and 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 information can be deployed in those areas and and it, and it can it can definitely save lives. And, and at the underlying you know, part of the day, it's all about the data working together with data scientists to enable to enable that. And so I guess uh, you know, in its sort of finished product, how would it how would it work in terms of like you know the an emergency management a agency kind of alerting um, the public? How how would you kind of you know, how would that information kind of be utilized, you know, sort of from the agency to the public? So, so I can give you some some illustrations. Sure. And I'm sure Lee can, can, can fill in some gaps. But you know, on the back end of what, what they were able to do, now you've got these sort of cohorts, right, mm -hmm. of people and how they behave prior to these, to these you know, and, and actually post of these uh, natural disasters. And if we understand those cohorts, we can model that behavior out and local communities can know where to direct their efforts to the areas and people that typically have not or would not evacuate in an upcoming storm. And we've all seen that on news, right? We always see these people who Refuse quote unquote try to ride it out yeah. and, and, and need to be rescued. Well, if we can understand prior to this event who those people are likely to be, they can apply more direct efforts at those okay. areas to, to effectively get them that. And then during um, a natural disaster, the first responders team can use location data to understand mobility and tens and, and like I said on the flash flood example, and depending on when it hits, it matters. And then post, where are the people? Like you saw this in Puerto Rico, uh, when the natural disaster hit Puerto Rico, when things started to how do you get water, food, shelter into these areas where people are, are congregating? GPS data can inform all of those decisions and efforts. Sheila, anything to add to that? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, Jeff's answer is great. So I probably can add on just two points. Um, during, the, uh, during the event and uh, for the real-time decision-making part, so actually we're using this kind of GPS data to help us build a deep learning model to essentially forecasting the traffic uh, distribution in real-time. And if 
there, so if we can get those data feeds, like the GPS data feed with a daily delivery, things like that, we will be, we are hoping to generate very accurate um, traffic uh, distribution model for, to forecast for the next day or the next hour. So then that will be very, very helpful for the local community. So we already communicated this idea with some community as uh, the emergency manager, and they are very interested in this idea to develop such tool to facilitate their true real-time decision-making. And the other thing that I'm thinking about right now is this kind of GPS data can essentially help us um, understand people's activity level uh, before, during, and after an event, uh, a disastrous event. So essentially with this kind of activity level, we can approximate uh, the resilience of the community. So essentially with people's activity level uh, under, um, uh, kind of analyzed and quantified during those uh, time frames, so we will be able to know uh, when the community uh, started to recover and how fast it's recovering and when the community can uh, functioning levels. So those kind of information are also very, very helpful, especially in the recovery phase that uh, government agencies like FEMA want to distribute their uh, very um, uh, scarce uh, resources to people in need uh, after uh, a hazard. Yeah, so that's just two, my two cents. No, thank you. Um, well, uh, Sheila and Jeff, thank you so much for uh, sharing this with, with us. It's uh, fascinating stuff, and uh, good luck with, uh, you know, kind of uh, continuing your work uh, in the future. Awesome. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Thanks. That wraps up Episode 99 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.